on this episode. This is not your typical murder victim. This is not your typical crime. This is a, you know, an academic um, murdered in her bed and she's beautiful and she's young. And the police immediately have a prime suspect in their sights. And without giving too much away, well, you know that he doesn't end up in court. Brenda's scientific work, the things that she knew how to do, the things that she would look at under a microscope, that is the same science that helps identify a certain person at the murder scene. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this free and ad-free podcast, it would be really helpful if you could do one, or even better, two of two things. Firstly, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or wherever. And secondly, subscribe. You get loads of extras, most are free, and you don't have to pay a penny if you don't want to. Just type in robertsmurphy.substack.com, tap in your details, and that helps show the podcast community how popular this show is. Thank you. Now to the interview. On the 14th of July, 1978, Dr. Brenda Page was found bludgeoned to death in her apartment in Aberdeen in North Scotland. She was 32 years old. She was a geneticist and she was described as a brilliant scientist. But when newspapers, television and radio journalists discovered she had a side job as an escort, what was already a big story exploded into something new. Now, detectives had tried to catch her killer. They had a prime suspect, her former husband, another scientist, but there wasn't enough proof. Finally, in February of 2023, that former husband faced trial in the city where Dr. Page was murdered 45 years earlier. Now that's a long time between crime and justice. And in her groundbreaking true crime podcast, the storyteller Naked Villainy, journalist and presenter Isla Traquere has been granted the audio recordings of that trial. Now this has never happened before in British history and it takes you straight into the courtroom in a way that no other podcast, no other broadcast has ever been able to do before. And Isla does it brilliantly. I'm hooked. And I'm delighted she's with us now. Isla, this is just the most incredible podcast. It, it almost feels like something sort of almost redefining, actually. Thank you. And coming from you, that's a real compliment. So oh. I appreciate that. And yes, it is. This is huge. And when I'm sitting editing it, it does kind of surprise me now and again. I'm like, wow, this has never happened before. I'm getting to share with the public what I've experienced throughout my career and being in courtrooms and listening to the jigsaw puzzle emerge. And this is a real honour and privilege for me to share it. So I'm glad that uh, there's a lot of people coming along for the ride with me. Well, let's have a quick listen to this story. And this this, um, trailer kind of represents all that's brilliant about the series. So let's have a listen. Step inside the jury box and don't miss an episode of the new series of the number one true crime podcast, the storyteller, Naked Villainy. It's taken 45 years to bring a killer to court. And for the first time in UK history, you'll hear the full murder trial and witness justice being done. It was a brutal murder of a brilliant woman who was a rising star in genetic research. It would now be almost like a script from Morse. The investigators swarming over the, the dreaming spires of university land. There was kind of palpable feeling of evil in the air. I was told it was just a massive blood in here. Two decades on from confronting evil. So did you kill your ex-wife Brenda Page? Evil is being confronted by the law. Did you kill her? No. She knew it was coming. He said he was going to kill her. If he killed her, he would do it so that nobody would know. Will his true nature be unmasked? Are you familiar with the tale of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde? And can Brenda's own words help secure her killer's fate? A letter of a death foretold. This is the storyteller Naked Villainy. 
So Isla, that is utterly spine tingling. Can you just tell us a bit about the story itself? Just give us the broad brushstrokes about what happened because it it is an incredible story in its own right. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Brenda Page was a brilliant geneticist. She was only 32 and she was the lead geneticist at Aberdeen University's mm. genetics department, cytogenetics department. So had already achieved a lot, you know, a really incredible person and also beautiful, striking and very well liked. So you, you could literally cast her as a main character in some novel and then enters in. Uh, side stage is her husband and then becomes ex-husband, another brilliant scientist. Dr. Christopher Harrison, or Kit as he's known, he is an eccentric, very clever, charismatic, charming, but uh, uh, dual man who has a very bad temper, is jealous, has been prone to rages and outbursts. You say in so, that trailer, don't you, you've got that clip, you, have you heard the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? And it, it, it's that, isn't it? It's, it's exactly that. That line actually is the closing, the opening of the closing speech for the prosecution. Or in fact, sorry, I correct myself. Uh, he actually says it. I think it's his opening to cross-examining a certain person in the witness box who I won't reveal. He uses that line. So this couple, uh, you know, it starts off as a love story and they couldn't be better suited. They're both scientists. He's a bi biologist. She's a geneticist. Um, they're both English, but end up in uh, well Glasgow and Edinburgh and then together in Edinburgh. And then she gets this amazing job in Aberdeen and they relocate. Once they're actually married, things go a bit south um, and his behaviour changes. And what we would now call coercive control mm. and domestic violence is going on. And this is over some period of time. And then she leaves him two years after they split up. Brenda is brutally murdered in her own home, in her bed, wearing her nightdress. It was a murder that absolutely shocked not just Aberdeen, but the whole of Scotland, yeah. because this is not your typical murder victim. This is not your typical crime. This is a, you know, an academic um, murdered in her bed and she's beautiful and she's young. And the police immediately have a prime suspect in their sights. And without giving too much away, well, you know that he doesn't end up in court until 2023. But in the middle of all that, um, 20 years ago, or just over 20 years ago, I do a documentary on this case as an unsolved case. And I go and reinvestigate. And it included me tracking down, as you heard in the trailer there, uh, I go to Holland and I track down Dr. Christopher Harrison and I basically chase him for about 10 minutes through bushes along a canal path through a car park <laughs> and he's desperately trying to evade me. And as a wee 22-year-old and I'm chasing after him saying, did you kill your ex-wife? Um, so there's that element. I've been professionally and emotionally invested in this story um, since that time. I think it was 2002 that I did those interviews, but I knew about this case long before that. And uh, yeah, it was a big, big deal for me to follow it through to this point now and to share her story because I really feel connected to Brenda. And I feel that this is not just a story about her case and all the fascinating elements there, but this is a story about violence against women and how we and the police and society treat such cases. Things have changed and improved, but not enough. Yeah, um, we've got so much to talk about just, just from your opening uh, uh, comments there. Firstly, I mean, the case, it was always, and again, talking about um, views towards women, I mean, she had this side job, didn't she? And that very much overshadowed, perhaps, or was a, an unusual dynamic, which was picked up, I guess, by the media at the time and perhaps skewed things uh, uh, utterly. Just tell us a bit about that. 100%. This was a twist in the tale and sadly one that really did distract away from the actual issue. So a few days after her murder, it emerged in the press that she'd had a part-time job. Now, the title escort girl conjures up the wrong thing. So basically what it was is there was an advert in the paper. She discussed it with all her colleagues going, oh, 
I could get paid to go and have dinner. They want intelligent women to go and have dinner with businessmen. Now, at this point in 1978, this is the oil booms really kicking off in Aberdeen. Aberdeen's the oil capital of Europe, for those who don't know. So there's a lot of Americans and people from all over turning up in Aberdeen. And they would want some arm candy with a brain to attend a dinner with them. So Brenda, at this point, she's separated from her husband, struggling to get a deposit. She was kicked out of the marital home. And uh, in those days, you might not be shocked to hear that women weren't paid as well as men. And even though she was a scientist, scientists weren't paid that well at that time. So she was able to go and have a nice meal with someone. She got some money. She had good company, didn't have to cook, could even go back to the lab after her dinner. But also, this was a time where there wasn't Tinder, there wasn't an ability to really, and at that stage, you know, she was 32, to get divorced at that age was actually, that was kind of a shameful thing in those days. And particularly, I'd say, in the northeast of Scotland. I got divorced in 2009 and it was frowned upon then. So it gives you an idea. So this was a great way for her to actually meet people because the cytogenetics was predominantly women. And um, your connection w with the story. I mean, this is this is an old story. This story is older probably than you are even. Um, it is, yeah. and, and so what's your connection been? I mean, you made the um, the documentary when you were very young. Um, what, what's your connection been and what have you thought about it over the years? And back over the years, did you ever think that there would be a time when actually he would end up being in the dock? So I can't pinpoint the exact time when I learned about it. It's, it's kind of one of those things when you when you live in somewhere like Aberdeen, by osmosis, you just know of there's a few cases, big cases that were unsolved. I then, when I started my career in newspapers, I specialised in crime and then I moved into television and that was how I still had an interest in crime there. And we're like, right, let's go around and meet all the CID, head of CID for all the different Scottish forces at that time and see what they've got in their books. But absolutely, the Brenda Page one was probably the driving force and the one that fascinated me most because of who she was, I think, um, because of this. It wasn't just a mystery. I... I knew, everyone knew it was the worst kept secret in Aberdeen that it was her ex-husband. So for me to then go and actually have that um, time and the resources to really go and investigate it, to go and interview her sister who is still living in Ipswich, that's where she's from originally, to interview her friend, to interview her colleagues. And these are all interviews that I still have in full. Now, an, a documentary is half an hour long. If you imagine there's a lot of voiceover and there's various clips, you can imagine how much audio is on the cutting room floor. And thank goodness, Grampian Television, which is now STV, have held on to it and kindly given me access to all my old interviews. So they are now incorporated. And thank goodness we have them because quite a few of the people I interviewed have died. This is an old, old case. This murder occurred before I was born. I was born in 1980. And... Um, for it to, the, your question was, did I ever think this was going to end up in court? We were all obviously convinced that it was him. And even doing the documentary, even more convinced. And let's add on me confronting this man. I am just over five foot two. He is over six foot two, I would say. And at the time he would have been his early 60s. Um, now he's 82. So, you know, there's a big difference between a man being in the 60s and the 80s. He was still quite a sort of terrifying, looming person. But I, uh, you know, I approached him in the normal way for, hello, I'm here from blah, 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 television. I'm here to interview you. You know, would you we'd like to talk to you about the murder of your ex-wife? And immediately we could, the flash of his eyes when he realised what was going on and you can see it. And I will, I will share some of that video. Um, there's no way he's going to talk to us. So then I have to just co completely switch to ambush journalism, which is not my favourite style of thing, but... There is um, almost a inference you can take when you're trying to question someone and they're not responding and they're physically trying to run away from you. You could maybe, you know, make some uh, people can have their own opinions as to what that means. But, for example, I was able to put to him, Mr. Harrison, why in the 25 years since your wife, who you loved so much, died, have you not once contacted the police 
to ask how they're getting on with their investigation. Why are you not protesting your innocence? Why are you not trying to help us solve this? If you're innocent, come on board with us, help us, you know. So, well, there's a reason why he didn't help us, because he did it. There's a reason why he didn't ask the police, because he knows who did it. So I, we were really, really hoping that that documentary, and we couldn't ever see it, we, we went in with all the families and said, we can't solve this. We can't guarantee anything. We're shining a light. We're hoping that friendships, allegiances may have changed, that someone may come forward that felt, you know, loyal at the time or intimidated at the time and maybe things have changed. But the key, key thing was that they were going to retest the DNA. They had kept all the evidence. Now, this doesn't always happen. You'd think it would, but I've heard so many stories in history of a fire, a flood, oh, it got chucked out, oh, you know, a box of stuff disappearing and or, or being contaminated and not being kept in the right conditions. But they still had the bloodied bed sheets, her nightdress and various other things that were able to test. These things are brought out in court. So I'm sitting in court and they're bringing out the bag with her actual bed sheets, with the bloodstains in a bag. They bring out the window that he broke in through. It, the actual window frame and everything's there. Look, here we go. Here's all the marks on it. It was remarkable. So this was the thing we thought science science could help us. And at the time, I believed that they hadn't got anything because he wasn't arrested. We did get a lot of phone calls and we had to pass everything on to the police, which we did. But uh, we really thought, oh, we're going to get something from the science. But we thought, no, we didn't. However, sitting in that courtroom and these episodes are coming up soon when we finally get the forensic evidence there's some pretty shocking things that were discovered on those bed sheets and the science that was used and this is the the the, the beauty and the synchronicity of this story the irony of it all i guess is that brenda's scientific work the things that she knew how to do the things that she would look at under a microscope that is the same science that helps identify a certain person at the murder scene and it's, it's quite remarkable. There's but there's poetry was, you know, there, isn't there? There's a poetry to that, isn't there? There is, yeah. Can I just mm. ask one thing? Because it's a big series, isn't it? This is for someone, uh, you know, it's for any true crime uh, uh, enthusiast. But, you know, this is 33 episodes, I think. So this is a, a box set, isn't it? This is uh, the detail you go to is incredible. Um, and I think we're at episode 12 at the moment as we're recording this. Uh, and, and I'm up to date, but I've obviously got a lot more to learn as the way goes along. But but are you able to reveal, because DNA has been around since 1988, I think. So why is it taken until 2020, 21, 22, 23 for these reviews to happen? Because I guess the science has been around for a good little time. It's a very good question. Mm. And something I will go into a huge amount of detail mm. <laughs> about later on. I... Only say what you don't want to give away, though. No, I do you know what I don't mind. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's a, by the way, it's going to be more than thirty three. And also, I do bonus episodes on my Patreon, so it's double that amount. In fact, more than double because I do an analysis each week. Plus, I've got the unedited interviews that I put in there, and exclusive content. Wow. Right? Okay. We were sitting there. And there was a journalist beside me who you'll hear from, Alison. She features in my first series. She was also a crime. We were both crime journalists at the time. Sorry, not at the time. Back in the day, we worked together. She was she was around and was a journalist when the murder occurred. She's a bit older than me. We were sitting there and waiting for a silver bullet that was recent that would have triggered this arrest. There was no silver bullet. Now there is there is absolutely absolutely forensic evidence tying him to the scene. Um, I'm going to say it might be sperm, and that was discovered in the first law of so the early 2000s around about the time of the documentary that was discovered then yeah and the police put it to the crown office and the crown office said no they did a second lot of testing in 2013 to 2015 which not only confirmed what they'd found previously but they found <laughs> even more and it still didn't get the okay from the crown office um this was something that really we, we were sitting there going, sorry, but the main evidence, you had all of this in 1978. But a lot of these people are 
dead. So they had to get a special, um, so special rule in law where they're allowed to read out the statement of a dead person. Mm. But the officer who took the statement has to read it. And if they're both dead, gone. So I know of statements that are absolutely crucial, critical, would have absolutely benefited this case. The court did not hear them because people are dead. So there are definitely some people to credit with it getting to court. And one of them is, and um, you will hear from him, he's actually just left the police recently, um, retired, uh, Gary Winter. Uh, Gary Winter, I, I, do a, <laughs> I did an interview with him last week that we began at 10 or we met at 10, and I don't think we finished till half past four in the afternoon. That's how much we had to talk about. Wow. Uh, so that's going to come out over multiple episodes. But Gary describes himself as a salesman. He says, it was there. I just had to package it all up and, and go and present it to the Crown Office. And he got told before that they'll say no. Um, now, there are reasons why, uh, you know, Crown Prosecution Service, Procurative Fiscal Service in Scotland will say no to cases and it's what chances do they have, do they have enough evidence mm. and what's the chance of them getting a guilty verdict, is that they have to weigh up all these things, public interest etc. Yeah. Yeah. Now during his three hour presentation and he told me this the other day and I had no clue, I had no clue about this and I'm not very good at blowing my own trumpet but I will pat myself gently on the back for this. He played my interview with Rita, her sister, that I did in 2002, and that was what got them over the line. The interview persuaded them that there was a reason still to pursue this case. And it was actually the advocate deputy, Alec Prentice, who was the rece receiver of the presentation, and it was him. So it was his decision, yes, we're going to do this. So those two men are the reason why it ended up in court. And you'll hear, again, I've done long interviews with both of them, um, I interview Alec Prentice before and after the verdict. So it's very interesting. And he's a fascinating man. Um, and also another little tidbit. Uh, I, and no one knows this. I also do a very long interview with Brian McConaughey, the defence KC. And again, like he's incredibly open. Everyone has been a really good sport in appreciating that this is a moment in history and actually you know, his defence, Casey, contacted me. I did say to him at the time, by the way, we can't talk now, but I would like to interview at some point. And I just hadn't been back up to Scotland. And then he actually reached out to me and said, hey, are you, are you wanting to interview me? And I'm like, well, yes. And I said, why on earth have you contacted me? Because I am not quite the objective journalist in this that I would be if I was covering a news story because I know too much and I am not employed by the BBC or whoever, so I can say what I want. And I'm very strong in saying, you know, I am on Team Brenda here. Uh, I am objective as much as I can be in presenting it, but, you know, I do comment. I interrupt the evidence and I say, well, this was gaslighting or, well, this is blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I've given you I've given you a lot of exclusives there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, and you mentioned um, a couple, the, the Casey and the, um, the police officer there but i think one of the most fascinating dynamics in this is the backdrop it's the, the 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 people who are involved because this isn't for want of a better phrase your normal murder and to go back to i think your trailer but certainly in 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 your teases at the top of each of your episode you know you liken it to or someone likens it to a morse novel it's the dreaming spires and it all happens we're dealing with incredibly intelligent articulate people who I don't know what I was doing last week, but they remember what they were doing 45 years ago. And some of them can't be persuaded otherwise, no matter what Brian McConaughey or whoever says to them, they know it. And they're, they're really strong, you know, and uh, it's uh, an unusual dynamic, the like of which I haven't I haven't seen in too many trials. And I guess that makes this kind of unique. Just tell us a bit about these people uh, uh, as well who, who who pop up. They're all in there. 70s and 80s and they're as sharp as anything aren't they i was blown away um you're absolutely right i've never experienced anything like it and i've sat through many many court cases and it's actually commented upon by those i interviewed they're all like this was unbelievable um despite their age 
And it would be absolutely understandable once you reach your 80s that you might not remember things. I'm the same as you. I can't remember what I did yesterday. I almost forgot about this. You reminded me, like, you emailed me again, I chat to you tomorrow. Oh, yes, tomorrow's Friday. I can't remember basic things. Their memory um, is incredible. And it, it the, their recall and clearly the things that they're recalling, though, are things that are burned in their memory, which is... For many of them, their friend, their colleague, their boss saying to them, if I'm found dead, it's him. If I'm found dead, it looks like suicide, it's not. If I'm found dead, make sure I get a good post-mortem. You know, he said he's going to kill me. I'm worried he's going to kill me. Um, You don't forget things like that. And there's certain situations and scenarios where they're actually describing as well how they feel. I think Dr. Jesse Watt, the episode that was out yesterday, she explains how she's heavily pregnant and she's with her husband. She's a grown adult and she goes along on car journeys and eats catfish to appease this very volatile man who is divorced from her friend and there's an interim interdictor against him who's tagged along on this trip. So everyone is so clear about those kind of things that gosh when I yes when I was around him well we had to just go along with it because we were gonna so I trust these witnesses when they're able to recall things so easily like that because they felt it experienced it was true you've got to believe them I don't think that anyone could make these things up now there are and this is something that memory is a real key issue in this case because of the age of it and it's so interesting listening to both the KCs using certain things to their advantage. Like, did you sign the statement? Yes or no. Depending on who it is, they'll use that to their advantage. Well, maybe it wasn't read back to you, so maybe they were wrong and what you're saying now is correct. Or if it was signed and what they want them to say is what's in the statement and not what they're saying in the witness box, they'll lean into that. But in general, though, the IQ of them must be, I don't know what. <laughs> Astronomical. Yeah, there was one of the there was one of them that actually when I interviewed uh, Brian, he said, "I said, is it Mrs. So and So?" And they went, "No, it's Doctor or Professor." <laughs> and he admits he's like the IQ of these people. He's he's used to being one of the smartest people in the room. Uh, that's not to say everyone who turns up in court is uh, stupid or anything like that. But he's used to dealing with people who are, you know, their life is crime, and um, they might be drug users or, or something like that. So for him to have this. You know, it, it was an unbelievable lineup, and there's more to come. And yeah, they're they're remarkable. And I've this sounds awful because I, I I'm I'm a strong, very strong in a kind of moral and ethical way when it comes to true crime is that it's not entertainment. However, I enjoyed listening to their evidence because it it it's. You know, it is sparring. There's intellectual sparring going on there because the person in the witness box knows exactly the path that they're being led down by the defence and they're not going to get tripped up by it. Or they do get tripped up and then they have to kind of, you know, uh, fight their way back. So it's, it is it is theatrics in a way, but it's real. Yeah, and you've got it all. And I'm going to ask you about that now. Um, when you heard this case was actually going to be tried, that he'd been charged, there was going to be a trial, how did you get this approval for the audio? What did you do? This is, uh, I mean, it's, inc- it's incredible. Yeah. Thanks. So we found out in, tw- it was early 2020 that he was arrested. So it was literally just before lockdown. And they actually rushed. They had it all planned and they had to change the date to arrest him because they realised we're about to get locked down. So I find out at that point, actually from DJ, my old boss, who I dedicate the series to, he, he phones and lets me know. And then I think my mum shortly after sends me the press article, look, you know, he's been charged. But then, of course, our world turned upside down mm-hmm. with COVID. And there were various things going on in my life, moving away and ending up with a stalker and having to leave the country, waiting for my own court case, going to my own court case, finishing that court case. I had literally stepped out of giving evidence of the the case against my stalker side story, a man who was stopped my next door neighbour and he was found guilty. Um, I'd left that courtroom um, in England, the trial, in the middle of the trial, because I wasn't going to, I didn't want to be in the court and sit around him, see him. And and I went in and gave evidence behind a screen for a full day and then left. 
I'm then travelling north to get as far away as possible. And I've been told that there was going to be a pre-trial hearing for this case. So I stop off, literally, I get off the train at Edinburgh. I go straight to the court. I attend this hearing, which is extremely brief. And then I leave, get on the train and then head further north up to Aberdeen to see my family. And that was the point where, so it sounded like it was actually going to go ahead. And um, I had been aware that there was, um, there'd already been one documentary made where they'd been allowed to film. And I knew that rules had started to change that um, news outlets are allowed to film the sentencing of judges, um, of certain um, type of judge yeah. in sentencing things, but it's very it, limited, not like this. It's, it's very limited, so you can film the sentencing, there's one camera, they have to be a pool camera, and they have to give it to all the other outlets so you can see the sentencing. And um, so I thought, well, hold on, if they've been able to make a documentary, and there is a documentary being made about this one, um, but the documentaries are, you know, one, two episodes. They are a tiny sliver, tip of the iceberg of what's actually said in court. If you imagine, you know, a, a, an average documentary is an hour long. So let's say it's two hours maximum. Uh, well, that's four episodes of mine. <laughs> and I'm going to have in total, if you listen to all the bonuses, over 60. It's a huge amount. It's three. It's a three week trial. Now, there wasn't every single minute an hour being, you know, evidence being heard. There was breaks and lots of things that I edit out, but it's a huge amount. So anyway, back to the whole thing was, the question is, how did I get permission? I asked. So I can't remember if I phoned first of all, and then I had to fill out an application, basically argue why I put in particular, why I should be allowed to do it um, the, you know, the fact that it's a podcast, etc. So what I argued is as well, this is all about open justice, and this is proving that there is no, there couldn't be a better case for the, you know, for the criminal justice system to prove that there is no time limit on justice. They want to be seen as being open and transparent, and you know, we will never give up. So this is an ideal case. This is one they should be proud of that they're proud of or not for the length of time it's taken, but for the fact it's actually gone to court. So yeah, it was a fairly yeah, I, I did my application and I argued and I also sent them my work and said, look, this is who I am. And I, I did this case 20 years ago, but here also are my two previous podcasts. It's gone to number one. I think I might have even sent them some of my reviews from people who um, will, I get uh, uh, labelled as being very compassionate um, and factual and sensitive. And I and I really do uh pride myself on being those things and again not to poo poo other true crime but there are some people who literally will read out murderpedia they don't check their facts now some people and then they laugh that. and then they laugh about it as well they laugh about yeah. it as well which i i'm very against laughing yeah. like i'm not judgmental for other people enjoy listening to but i'm sorry when they do and and, and I've, I've heard from a family of one case in america where they speculated out of nothing about someone taking their own life and it deeply upset the family thankfully it had about five listeners so but i contacted them and said take that off now anyway um they looked at my work and they came back and i was surprised and they said yeah and i got told it's the uh, you know based on the merit of your work we would not approve just anyone so i was absolutely elated and by this point I was back in America. <laughs> I was always going to come back for the trial, uh, but I knew it was going to be really hard for me to. My, my podcasts are all I try, and my all, everything in my work that I've done, I try and let the people speak for themselves, and I just, I just guide them along, and I fill in the blanks and join the pieces together. That's that's my job. I just I let them tell the story because they are the storytellers. I'm just the person giving it uh, to the public in a digestible way. It would have been very challenging to do because it would have just been me blethering on and you just wouldn't have got the sense of this so for me the, the the goal the richness of storytelling humanity life so much we can learn through listening to this one story is why i do what i do i'm i'm fascinated by people and i'm fascinated by what can happen in our lives and the paths like i believe everyone is capable of murder press the right button and you could find yourselves in a dock um, even very, very good people for all the best reasons could end up in a dock at some point. Um, and I think it's fascinating finding out why someone ends up there and the impact of murder and what can be 
learnt and how people survive. You know, the living victims of murder are as interesting to me as the murder victim. And that's why I end up developing really close relationships with family members, loved ones, best friends, even the police officers and pathologists and the lawyers. You know, I, I keep in touch with these people because we're equally fascinated by these cases. And um, so you got approval from the court service uh, for, from the, the equivalent of the Scottish Ministry of Justice, it, was it? Or? It's, the, it's the Crown and uh, yeah, Procurator Fiscal and the Crown, uh, yeah. or Crown and Procurator Fiscal Service Scotland, I think it's called. Um, that's, I think that's where I had to write to. Anyway, it was on a... It was on a, a big <laughs> there was multiple, form. There was multiple people, but I had to agree to a list of things, which absolutely were fine, which is, we you know, we can't record anything that's when the... You know, it didn't actually happen in this case, but in a lot of cases, the jury will be sent out and then there's all this private discussion, which we can sit and listen to. We're not allowed to write it down, not allowed to record it. So obviously we couldn't put anything like that out. Um, but crucially, the Crown and the judge, I believe, had to listen to every single episode of everything that was ab about the court to listen to it. And I felt really bad because these people have busy jobs. And I'm like, sorry, there's going to be quite a lot. <laughs> um, but they listened to it. And uh, I don't know if I can go as far as to say they were like basically complimentary and saying that they enjoyed it. But yeah. it, it was approved. I had to edit the entire thing and let them listen to it. And literally up until... Uh, I launched, they were still, yeah, they were just before. I'm like, by the way, this is my launch date, so I kind of need it okayed by then. I knew, obviously, <laughs> that early episodes had already been um, approved. So, yeah, there, there was there was conditions. And there is going to be um, a documentary on this. Um, I was interviewed every day by the team. It's going to be on the BBC. Um, whether I'm still in it or not, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, there is a there's a documentary, so you'll be able to see me sitting in court. I did ask them if they could give me a snapshot, uh, just even a still frame um, from the BBC doc, but was told no. So maybe I'll get one off them eventually. I'm and you sure. can see you can see how close I am. I'm literally I'm not very good at measurements, but I'm probably a meter or two meters maybe away from. Kit Harrison, it's so it's such a small court. Yeah, I think it was in the last episode or the episode before where you mentioned that you hold the door open for you for him, and you're in two minds about whether to huh. to be polite or just to do what you think is right, which is probably just slam it in his face and, and giving him a, a piece of his own medicine. The question I wanted to ask you to follow on from that was, how did you find sitting there with him there, knowing that that in your heart of hearts that he's guilty, and also, the court hearing, the three-week trial itself, how did that go compared with your initial estimates? Because there are surprises in court cases, aren't there? Always. And I didn't think there'd be that many because I had so much inside information from the police at the time and things, as I say, that don't even come out in the court case that I know about. But there were surprises. First of all, when we arrive at court, which was actually last year, that was when we had our false start. And that really, that, that messed everyone up because we were, we were told it was happening. It's definitely happening. And even by the people inside, certain teams said it's happening. And we'd, we'd been there already. We'd had a first day and that was the first time I saw him. So. Yeah, he. I, I describe actually. He, I'm. I'm certain that he took a sort of double take, and you will learn this man has a photographic or almost photographic memory, and not to be arrogant about myself and my importance in his life, but I'm sure a little blonde twenty-something uh, with a TV camera and you know crew with her chasing him around his, you know, his uh, apartment complex. Uh, 20 years ago is something that's probably stayed with him I would imagine it disrupted his life he would have known about it so there was definitely it was weird and he's not in jail waiting for this trial they deemed him to be a low flight risk is how they term it and he'd had to um, give up his passport um, so he's walking in the door with us every day and I remember the first day and I got there really early because I, you know, was recording myself as you hear, you know, getting the bus and all this kind of stuff. And there's a cafe nearby, and uh, where everyone kind of goes. And here he was, 
wandering wandering past and at that time the the beginnings um in last year his partner um and i don't know if you've heard about this but yeah but he's had a partner this entire time um not married um she's on his arm so here's this i'm going to call them an elderly couple wandering down the street heading to the court and uh, this is the murder accused so then we get um you know the adjournment which was such a bummer because i literally flown back from america to do this <laughs> and overnight i'm like what am i supposed to do i'd moved myself and my dog given up the place i was living at because i was expecting to be mm. in an intense situation for months so uh, i ended up i came back to london and you know was doing work for this morning and whatnot actually I'll tell you what happened. The Queen died. So I went from the murder trial <laughs> to covering the Queen dying for for this morning on ITV. Uh, so that filled in some time. And then I was actually doing the Nicola Bowie case. And then we finally get to the court case. Um, expectations. I know that, uh, you know, unlike telly, um, court cases can be incredibly boring because mm. sometimes there's huge gaps or there's really intricate um, evidence about something that's not that interesting. Um, however, I don't think I could have predicted what this trial was going to be. I knew there would be characters. I knew some of the people who would be there because I'd interviewed them before, um, Dr. Jesse Watt being one of them. Um, but I was really, I was shocked at... Yeah, the, the intelligence, the memory and how many of them were still alive from that, uh, you know, uh, academic group. Um, and there are absolutely some things that you will hear later on. Um, I'm going to give you teasers. There are there are letters, letters between Brenda and Kit. Uh, this is obviously way before texting, where we are quite brief in our communications. But back in those days, people wrote letters. They are long. They are descriptive. They use, a, you know, these are intelligent people. They use a lot of language in there. And um, the insights that we get from those letters is something else. Plus, uh, we've actually got and one of the, the key um witnesses is a he was a police officer to begin with but then he actually went away and, and studied and became a scientist so he was one um, of the forensic team at the scene and he was there in 1970 and he's giving evidence and this man found something absolutely key to this case a tiny 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 thing um that linked two things so i'll just say that i cannot uh, wait i can't wait don't tell me don't that's enough that's enough okay. but we people will need to listen to that because yeah it is brilliant and what you just said there about court cases i i i spend uh, 50 percent of my working life in trials and they can get quite even a murder trial can get extremely tedious but there's none of that at all in this you know even talking about you know the guy who taught kit how to open a window to take the pane of glass out with the little nails here and there, just this little sort of minutiae of detail. They're so eloquent when they talk about this and they won't be moved, they won't be persuaded. It's, you've got a brilliant bunch of, uh, uh, of contributors. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and I also had to, there, there's a couple of people I had to change their voices um, and don't, let's not talk about AI because I hate it, but um, the majority of people were amazing and despite their initial reluctance of ah, you know is being asked once they've come off the witness box it's the worst time to ask someone by the way can we broadcast what you've just the hell you've just gone through did you need but, to get permission from everyone yeah yeah i've got to get permission from everyone wow, yeah okay so um yeah but we we had a, we had a, an agreement with the with the I say we it's only me but I had an agreement with the doc team that the one person would go on behalf of and say you know give them my bit of paper and their bit of paper and um obviously expert witnesses and, and most of the police officers were fine um but the other ones but they were amazing so I've been able to have conversations with most of the witnesses and their private conversations between me and them and it's been a real joy to speak to these people. And there's some things that I can share that they've said and I do. And there's other things I feel, no, that's a private conversation for us. Um, but it's been remarkable. But what's what I, I've been blown away by is despite their own personal, oh, I don't want that. They're like, no, you can use my voice. And I'm so grateful to them. So grateful for, for them allowing me that because 
hearing someone's and what I've said to them is, look, I either get you replaced by AI or I'm going to have to get an actor to which I've done before, you know, to revoice it. But nothing can portray this properly, uh, you know, in a more authentic way than your delivery, your tone of voice, your, you know, everything about the way they say things is so important, you know, because I, I mean, I did my best at reading out one of the um, witnesses. Thankfully, it wasn't too long, that one. But the other ones, I could never capture the way that, that you know, someone is, you know, upset at being, well, no, of course I didn't make that up. You know, I can't recreate that. So it's, it's yeah, it, it was remarkable. And it's their soul, isn't it? You, you, you capture their yeah. soul, you capture the authenticity. of. Uh, they did it for Brenda, every single one of them. Um, some of them had to travel and they did it for her. They didn't have to. Um, and in my interview with Alec Prentice, he says that he's like, I, we we could not have done it without these witnesses and these witnesses um, being so willing to come and attend court. And at that point in life, I wouldn't have blamed anyone. Say, do you know what? No, I or 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 to be sceptical about whether or not they would get a conviction. So why should they bother that kind of thing? But every single one of them, they did it, and they did it for her. Just tell us a bit about the reaction to the series as well for such a such a what I think is just a really important and redefining series actually in in this genre. Um, tell us a bit about the reaction. You've been at number one in the true crime podcast charts. Yeah, uh, and, and I've got worldwide, worldwide. There's people all over the world that are writing to me that they're in there or they're in New Zealand and they're listening to it. And I love that because nothing else plugs you in better to experience something than your ears. So to think someone's out for their jog in America or they're in Tennessee doing their garden, listening to this story. Um, I have incredible listeners. They're amazing. Um, and I know that a huge amount, well, I know from the figures, a huge amount of them don't ever interact with me, but there are some that go out of their way to interact with mm. me and write to me and say, and I still get um, people writing to me that they've just discovered series one, for example, and please tell the mother of the murder victim that I, you know, da da da, and justice and all. It, it's remarkable. This case, I and, and honestly, I was a bit worried because I'm like, oh, oh this is not. Uh, I usually am able to break things up, so I, you know, allow uh, I, I weave the stories with lots of people telling the story. You know, we'll have a police officer, we'll have a forensic officer, we'll have the mum, and I, I blend it all together with my voice. This is done absolutely as the court case was done this is it's this witness and then this witness and then the, this one and i can't do anything about it and I'm, i was a bit worried like are people going to have the attention span for this because i know it's intent i find it fascinating but will the general public be as interested and the answer is yes and i'm so pleased because there was a moment of like ah! i think i've had one person, and, and I don't know why they went out of their way to write it online, but uh, and to rate me less going, I've really enjoyed Isla's first two series. However, I don't like the lawyer or something like, or the, I can't be bothered listening to the witnesses. So there's one, you know, but you're always going to get that um, Karen complaining. No offence to anyone called Karen. Please don't uh, write a bad review. So I'd say on the whole, um, people are fully in there. And I keep saying... If you like this, wait till you hear what's coming. There is what you mentioned earlier about, you know, there are things that can be boring. I will say there is some really intense science that comes up. Um, we're quite a few away from it still. And it's really important. And I think it's very educational. And but I do actually explain in one episode the beginning part of this is going, you all think you know what DNA is and you've all watched CSI, but I need you to listen to this yeah. because this explains things even more. And I say, if you if you can't handle this intense science, you can skip forward 15 minutes and you'll just get the results of what they find. But if you listen to this bit, it'll all make sense. And it's really important because we get down to something so, so tiny. You're going to become experts in sperm and okay. semen because you would think that might be the same thing but the, the tadpoles and the fluid are different things. That's it. The heads, the heads are different, aren't they? There's more DNA in something. Am I right well, in thinking? They're called. Uh, hold on, I might say this right. It's uh, sperm. Sperm. Spermatozoa. Yeah. So sperm is that. Spermatozoa is the 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 tadpole, if you like, the head. Yeah. 
and they and this is known but not everyone does know this they can get caught in the weave of clothing even when you wash your clothes uh, i got told by a scientist once never wash your dish dishcloth sorry i got told by a scientist never wash your dishcloths or anything you might need around food near bedding or underwear that might have sperm on it because <laughs> it's going to end up in everything right and okay anyway that's a side thing for hygiene that's another bit of information for us today we'll all make a note of that thank you <laughs> yeah but but there's there's different things so they can they can split uh, they can split the the sperm fluid uh, the liquid, which doesn't have sperm in it, and then the, there's the spermatozoa. Spermatozoa can persist uh, after washes, but maybe the other one can't. But you, you're going to learn all about that. And also what's fascinating is, and I do find DNA fascinating, is when it comes down to the, the chances of this being that person or that being that person. And um what is it? The absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence and all that kind of stuff. There's so much for you to hear, but the science is intense. But I think the hardcore listeners, they'll love it. And then there's the real, real hardcore listeners that then can go and get all the other all the stuff extra stuff that, that, that you do. Pages. Yeah. And, and I, I don't like, well, sorry, obviously I'm doing it right now, but previously I haven't done much commentary on things but this series i'm just sitting sitting there biting my tongue as i was in the court was oh i know what that means and i know what that means i need to tell them so what i do is the the, the analysis episodes um i do is extra content it's the signposting of right okay so remember when you heard and i do a bit of it in the main episodes but i do it even more in the the bonus because there's so much that people retain and i want to compliment the listeners on their capacity to retain so much of this information because it is complicated, but they're paying attention and there's a few of them that'll write and go, right, so you mentioned blah, blah, blah. And I thought about, you know, and I'm like, I'm not telling you. <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah. And, and th this moves on to my next point in that you listen to podcasts sometimes and you hear the list of credits at the end. You've got sound designers and you've got producers, and you've got series producers, you've got script editors. You've got you. This is incredible. This is the most unbelievable achievement that the, the, you have yourself done 33 or however many episodes of the main series, plus all the bonus content. And you do all the writing, editing, recording, sound design, soundscapes. Or it's just the most monumental achievement. Yeah. How, how have you found that? I, I'm, I'm clearly insane. Um, I... I have a capacity to do in really, really intense work. I think I've always done it with news, like you. You know, the you you you're thrown into something. There's an intense period of that story, and you've got to you've got the deadline. You've got to whip it out, and then the next day there's something else. Now with this, it's way more intense. And my first experience, really, of doing these intense, intense things was the documentary series. I was 22. I'd never done a documentary before. And I had to write them. I wrote half the first series and then I ended up writing the entire series once we got further in. And had had to had to learn and I, I literally didn't know what to do. So I transcribed every single interview and I literally printed them off and then I cut bits out, literally the words and then I put and stuck them on a bit like this is all about before the murder. This is during the murder. This is this relates to the car. And that was how my brain in a very a uh, basic way started to work out how to storytell in such a massive way. And then we forward on to now, 20 years on, I have managed to adapt and I, I, I don't know, I've just got a very weird brain that I can retain huge amounts of information about this and I'm completely into it. If I get derailed, um, which I did at one point, I had to unfortunately go back to court again because of my own um, situation with the stalker. Um, I got derailed a bit. It takes me quite a minute. It's like it's like going on a bike uphill on the wrong gear to for me to get back into it. But once I'm into it again, I don't stop. Last night I was editing. I think I finished at two in the morning. Um, I work for myself. I learned how to edit in television news when I was 20, early 20s. So I learned on Avid. Avid is a edit system actually that they use for making movies. It's a super high-end system. 
can show you my avid keyboard here. <laughs> so I, I, I'd always retained that skill. And I, for when I moved to America and was doing development projects, I would still edit video, etc. So when I, uh, <laughs> the, the magical circumstances, which I ended up doing a podcast, which was literally came back to Britain because my mom was unwell. I was on the train a lot. My boyfriend at the time got me into podcasts and I thought, this is a great way of storytelling. And I couldn't get a normal job at the time because of my mum being poorly. And this was something I could do completely on my, I'm like, well, I can edit. I had no idea what I was doing. And I just phoned up the mother of one of the murder victims I'd stayed in touch with for years. It was the biggest case that I did at the beginning of my career. The 20th anniversary was approaching. It seemed synchronistic for it all to happen. I said, uh, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. And she's, what is a podcast? I'm like, well, I'm not, well, we'll figure it out. And that was it. So I absolutely love doing this. I don't get paid. Most people do. They'll have a big, you know, they have the big company and the sound engineers and all that behind them. But for me, uh, the way my brain works and for me to store it, if I'm to sit and tell an editor, yeah, in go, go in at that, no, no, a few frames in, I can just do it myself so fast. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. I, it would cost me a fortune to hire an editor to do it as well. With music, that's one thing I absolutely love, picking the music. And you'll hear from the first series, I had to buy the license for that one piece of music, which was actually quite expensive, and I got the stem. So there's literally one song for series one. Series two, uh, I think it was the same again. It was the same same composer for that song. And I, I had a, a friend of mine did some music for the other bits. Now, this one, I've managed to get way more. I've subscribed and paid a chunk amount so I can use more than one song from a site, which is much more helpful um, because I can't afford it. You know, one of the songs I bought previously, it cost me a grand to use a song. Wow. One song. Wow. So if you listen to how many songs I've got in this one, yes. there's a lot. Uh, no. So... Yes, it is a huge amount of work from person. I don't know another person in the world who does this to the extent of what I do. And the inter it's not, and I'm not again poo pooing. I, it's not a chat, me chatting to someone. It's not a. I could edit that, and you know, really easily. I could do the interview and edit it and put it out that night. Those are I could churn them out, but these are huge. Um, the um, I don't have it here, but in my previous one, I think I did film myself. I have a wall full of post-it notes. It, for this one, I've got these are my court uh, notebooks for the days, and I've got all the things. I've got the shorthand for every single person that I. Uh, you know, that I was writing their evidence. So I've got, this is my thing to, if I do need a memory check, I'm like, okay, this is day two. Who's this? This witness is, this is, or sorry, day one, a Diane Davey, who've got there, Nicole Hosey. So I can go and check things, but most of it's in my brain. Um, but yeah, no, it is remarkable. And I will pat myself on the back for that, but it makes it easier because I'm doing it all myself, but it makes it really hard because I have no one, no one to bounce this off going, ooh, do you think that I should have done, but I mean, I do let a few select friends hear stuff. And for series one, I did have a few people who listened to all of it before it went out. But this one, I couldn't really say to someone, by the way, would you mind just uh, listening to 33 episodes just to check that my storyline's okay and it's not too much and it's not, I've just had to trust my judgment. And at times I have, like, You'll understand when you get to it. Well, no, you won't because I've edited a lot of it out. When we get to the forensic stuff, it is so intense. I, I had a bad few weeks dealing with those episodes because I had to really understand it, really understand complex, complex science to make sure that the listener was going to understand and that I wasn't taking anything out that wasn't absolutely essential. So I try and guide them through, but that that's... That was that was difficult. But as you know, in our job, when you work in television news, we have to become an instant expert sometimes in a subject we know nothing about for that day so that we can tell the nation <laughs> about that particular thing. So, yeah, no, th thank you for acknowledging that. And um, yeah, I think people don't really believe and they don't understand it. I really hate talking about the money aspect, but I don't get paid. I am insane to, to commit myself and I don't want to make myself sound like some sort of angel or Mother Teresa, but I don't know anyone else who would do what I do in the amount of hours. I don't have some secret, um, you know, funder or whatever. And it is down to listening figures and uh, piddly adverts and whatnot. I really need some more sponsorship and things like that for me to be able to continue to do this because otherwise... 
And more people to sign up to your Patreon as well. Yeah, right. Yes, everyone sign up to my Patreon, please. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the and and I know this is and you'll know this. I hate saying it, but it is a thing. Your listeners have to go on and rate and review because everything is judged on that. Um, Weirdly, that's what the advertisers pay attention to, that if you've got lots of good reviews and stuff, and it really does make a difference. So everyone's getting all the stuff for free, and it's a small thing to say, can you please, please go and just, just, you know, um, go and click. But, I mean, I know myself as a podcast listener, well, I am because I'm a podcaster, I will go and do it. But certainly in the past when I've listened to things, I've been that's brilliant. I would tell my friends verbally, I don't go and write on their page and follow them and message them and all that. So I'm going to ask my, I need my, my listeners have to be my marketing team. Yes. Well, <laughs> look, it is the most incredible achievement and it's made it even more incredible by the fact you've done it all yourself. And it truly is. I found it utterly groundbreaking. And you hear something, particularly crime podcast, you kind of think you've heard everything there is to hear. And then this comes along and it is truly different and it's so well done. Uh, uh, and I hope that people have enjoyed this conversation today and I know they're going to go off and listen to it now and enjoy it for themselves. It's brilliant. Thank you so much, Isla. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. The Storyteller, Naked Villainy, is available everywhere for free. And if you want to support Isla's incredible solo effort, please look for her Patreon page. And if you haven't yet rated or reviewed this show, Behind the Crimes, please do. It takes a few seconds and helps more than you would know. And you can follow for free at robertsmurphy.substack.com.